good morning. Yeah, we had a great summer, haven't we, so far? Yeah, so my name is Jesse Peters, and I get the privilege of leading our middle school and high school students. And uh, this summer, we got to do middle school and high school camp. And as you saw in the video, uh, it was a lot of fun. God worked in some amazing ways, um, and so we just praise God for that. Uh, I do want to give a special thanks to um, Renee, Ingrid, and Chloe for our Cooks for High School camp. Um, yeah, we can give it up for them because... Camp is amazing, um, but with great food, we can do some of these amazing activities, so uh, phenomenal. God's been working in amazing ways. Grace Loves Auburn was um, yesterday, and this leading up to this week, uh, hundreds of volunteers gave uh, their time and abilities to sort and give back to the community. We were able to be the hands and feet of Jesus, so we praise God for that. Um, online, there's a number of different uh, pictures and highlights. Um, check it out, but over 400 families were blessed um, through giving and through serving, and had an opportunity to encounter uh, Jesus Christ. So we praise God for that. Our message this morning is going to be in Revelation 22, and so I encourage you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Revelation 22. Um, this comes at the very last part of the book uh, of Revelation and the Bible. So if you're turning there in a physical copy and you make it to um, the weights and measures or maps, just turn one page to the left. Um, <laughs> Too far, too far. Though that could be helpful in understanding more about the Bible, but Revelation 22 is our passage. I encourage you to turn there as we jump in. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how you've equipped us. You've given us the Holy Spirit. And you also just give us this space to come and worship you and to learn more about your character, your love, and your plan for us. God, we've uh, had an amazing summer, and we give you all the glory and praise, and we ask you to continue to speak to us and lead us forward. May you continue to um, just use this time to bring glory to you, but encourage us to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so our, our passage today is Revelation 22, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and I encourage you to join me as we read it together. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation, the nations. But no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will be, they will know, they they will no need of light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. All right, phenomenal passage with the baptism that we just experienced, the worship that we've had, uh, and just reading this word, I think we could just pray and call it a day, because this is enough to praise God for all of eternity, which we will. But this text this morning comes at the very end of the final vision uh, that John receives about what is to, to soon take place. And as we read, uh, there's a lot going on here. 
a lot. And so many of us, maybe we've watched a movie, and uh, it's been like the third or fourth movie in a long series, and so we watch it. This recently happened to me. I watched the third movie in a series without watching the previous two movies, and it was really confusing at first. I appreciated the movie, enjoyed it, but uh, after the video, or the movie ended, all my friends were talking, and they're like, oh man, that was amazing, those connections all, you know, this was epic, it finally tied all those loose ends together, and I just appreciated the movie and didn't know the backstory. And a lot of times the Bible is that way as well. So many things are picked up, repeated, and allude back to uh, the Bible in other parts. So, as good students of the Bible, our alarm bells should be going off about all these images and words that take place. And so our journey today is going to be eventful uh, and hopefully thorough, um, and hopefully within a time frame that pleases everyone. So... So real quick, the Bible is a unified story that's about Jesus and points to Jesus, right? If that's, if that's all we get this morning, that's amazing because that is uh, the bulk of the Bible. It points to Jesus. And so in the Old Testament, we have Jesus predicted. In the Gospels, we have Jesus revealed. In the Acts of the Apostles, we have Jesus preached. In the Epistles, we have Jesus explained. And as we come to Revelation, we have Jesus expected. So today... I'm titling the sermon today, uh, The Final Vision and Hope Fulfilled. So many of us have been longing for hope. We've been longing for the day that Revelation 22 encapsulates. But it would do us a great benefit to look back through Revelation, especially the, the the previous couple chapters, because we see the devil, we see Satan, the beast, and all his minions thrown into the lake of fire. We see the lamb, Jesus, on the throne. We have a marriage feast that believers will get to experience. Chapter 21 is a famous passage that we know as the new Jerusalem, right? The new heavens and the new earth where there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow. And as we come to the the first part here of chapter 22, it's, it's glorious. And it's kind of a summary statement in some ways. So this final description, right, this final vision, it connects the human longing for the garden city of God that unites believers in the new Jerusalem at the feet of Jesus, the Lamb of God on the throne. So that's kind of our summary statement, and we're going to look and explore the connection between the original Garden of Eden and this restored Garden of Eden, and how this gives us, as believers, hope in the midst of everything that we're going through, and it calls us to be a church that worships Him, that's on mission, that's courageous, and hope-filled. So, if you're ready, let's, uh, let's, open, let's keep our Bibles open, and uh, if you don't mind, you can turn back to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't feel comfortable, that's okay. We're going to try to summarize a little bit as much as we can, um, but as more and more as I read the Bible, Genesis 1 through 3 are just foundational, that's why it comes at the beginning of the Bible, foundational for understanding the biblical story and why Jesus came and what God wants to do um, through us. So, the first pages of the Bible, um, again, if you turn all the way to your left, you'll probably see a, um, a concordance. Or, or not a concordance, but a, uh, a, a table of contents. I heard it right there, yes. You'll find a table of contents, and so you'll go back to the right, just a couple pages, but Genesis chapter 1, and it starts within the first couple chapters describing how God created the heavens and the earth. We discover that God created a perfect world. He put mankind in the garden in the center of his creation, Genesis chapter 2 details this beautiful garden. There's a stream that flows out from the middle of the garden and spreads out into four rivers that water the earth. We see that there's a tree of life that's planted in the middle of the garden, 
And there's also a tree of the knowledge of good and evil as well. And as we see in Genesis chapter 2, right, there's this beautiful place where animals are thriving. Adam and Eve are abiding and fellowshipping with God. And God's presence is active right there in the midst of the garden. It doesn't take too much for mankind to uh, choose to go their own way. If you just flip another page to Genesis chapter 3, there's a serpent. And there's a temptation to eat the knowledge, the the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And here's where they, Adam and Eve, choose to be autonomous. They choose to define good and evil, define what they want apart from God's command. God had encouraged them and commanded them not to eat this fruit, but to enjoy all of his creation. And he gave them this choice because we're not robots, right? We have a free will. We also have the opportunity to choose to worship him. Just like many of us chose to get out of bed this morning to worship him. And he invites us to do that, to abide with him and to enjoy the tree of life in the midst of the garden. As you continue to read Genesis 3, uh, Adam and Eve give in to the temptation and they eat the fruit. And after that, there's just a downward spiral through the, the book of the Bible, but also in Genesis, of things that are affected. Right, And it's striking to me, uh, and it, well, it all makes sense, it'll come back to our passage, but Genesis 3.17, the land is actually cursed because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Thorns and thistles and weeds will all grow up, and it'll be hard work to produce what once gave just natural life. And some of us that have planted gardens or grew up on farms, we know this very firsthand and know it well. And so this exile from the Garden of Eden is a prominent theme that transpires through the rest of Genesis. People are longing for that tree of life, longing for that fellowship with God, that Garden of Eden. And so we have numerous accounts where uh, they just give in to temptation. You have Cain immediately just giving in and murdering his brother. We have uh, Jacob, who is a deceiver, and he actually receives a mini Garden of Eden. If you read Genesis 29, there's actually a well that he comes to and enjoys refreshment as he's wandering. And so as we kind of quickly, you don't have to uh, turn to all these different passages, uh, but throughout the Bible, there's these mini uh, Edens where God gives his life-giving water, his tree of shade and tree of life. And there's all these uh, uh, pictures that, that point us all along to the fulfillment one day in heaven. And so as we, as we zoom in to, well, I'm zooming in, but you can't see. You can't see it, but we're going to look at a couple passages in the prophets. The prophets were men who uh, spoke for God and foretold of events that are going to soon take place. Um, And for many of them, this was the longing. The people of Israel had been exiled because of their rebellion, and uh, now they are longing for the restored kingdom that will soon take place. So as we uh, zoom in, we're going to look at a couple passages. Um, I think our first passage will be on the screen. Yes, Joel. Uh, For behold... In those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, and in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. We look at Isaiah 51, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. 
And then Ezekiel, this is a key, pa- key passage, key book in the Old Testament. I know it has a lot of weird visions, but there's some really fascinating things. So if you're ever bored and need a passage to read, Ezekiel. And the, and the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of bringing the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. And then a few chapters later in Ezekiel 47, and he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river, and as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river many, very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may uh, goes there, and on the banks on both sides of the river, there shall uh, grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water of them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for the will be for food and their leaves for healing. All right, if you remember from our passage, Revelation 22, this is like an exact uh, uh, shot for shot, word for word um, uh, connection. But we got one more, Zechariah 14. On that day there shall be no night, cold or frost. There shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening there shall be light. And that day living water shall flow from Jerusalem half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Okay, these are just a few of the Old Testament passages that point to this future garden where God will continue to dwell with his people and will have enjoyment. Creation longs for this day. It's been groaning because of the sin, because of the evil that has taken place. So that is why some of these Old Testament passages are so important. It points us toward this future day as people long for it. And so as we turn to the New Testament and the Gospels, um, we see this manifested and lived out in the person of Jesus Christ. So to help me make sure that you haven't fallen asleep and are still with me, could you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4? John chapter 4. Uh, I want us to see this firsthand because it's, it's uh, phenomenal. John chapter 4. Uh, John, an apostle of Jesus, writes that we may believe, his audience may believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so John chapter 4 Um, details many stories and accounts, signs that prove that Jesus, excuse me, is the Son of God. So as we look, Jesus is about to encounter a woman at a well. And so we're going to look at verse 5 of John chapter 4. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, worried as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to, her, said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come back to draw, here to draw water. All right, this is pretty self-explanatory passage here. A woman, outcast, comes middle of the day because of, as we'll find out, because of some of the previous marriages that have derailed and her living in sin. And so she is an outcast, but here Jesus encounters her, meets her, and gives her this promise to receive eternal life, and that in him is that living water, the hope that she so desperately wanted, that longing that she craved and was trying to fill with men and sexual uh, promiscuity is found in Jesus Christ. And so as we turn, and John makes all these connections. I encourage you to keep reading the book of John. I'm sorry, there's so many passages that you need to read. Just keep being a student of God's word. But as you read through, as you read through John, John makes all these connections, light and darkness. Uh, he, uh, he makes these connections with living water and water. Uh, there's so many connections. And another one that he makes is, uh, is right here in water. And so if you look at John 7, we won't go there, but John 7, there's another encounter where Jesus says that he is the living water and that everyone that uh, receives him receives receives eternal life, and the Holy Spirit indwells that person. But I want us to really just look at real quick, if you don't mind, just turning a couple pages to John 19, um, and, then, and then we'll go back to our revelation. Sorry, there's just too many passages. Uh, but John 19, thankfully I have more time than I usually do in, in high school or middle school youth groups. So your benefit or your loss, I'm not sure. But John 19, this is where Jesus is on the cross dying for our sins. And as the soldiers, right, are preparing for the, the criminals, Jesus and the two criminals on the cross, they want to bury him before the day of preparation and the sun goes down. And so to speed up the process, uh, if you reflect back, this is a gruesome act of torture and death. And most of the criminals would die very slowly on a cross. And so to speed up the process, they would break their legs so that they couldn't push up to get air upon the cross. And so they come to Jesus, and Jesus is already dead in John 19, um, verses 31 um, through 37. Um, we, we see that they come, the soldiers come to Jesus about to break his legs, and they notice that he's already dead. And so they take a spear, and they spear him in the side, and I want us to look um, at verses 34. Uh, but one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Blood and water. Now, Lee Strobel will give us really helpful in, uh, how this happened from a medical standpoint, but I want us just to look at the metaphors that are connected here with the Old Testament passages and our passage in Revelation. Jesus, his blood, covers us from sin, and his, the, the water that comes from him, right, is that symbol of giving us new life, that living water that he gives us. And so we could continue to talk about some of these more connections, but I think for time's sake, we do need to go back to Revelation 22. But if you are intrigued at all, 
if you, uh, there are some great resources out there that can help you continue to study the Bible and to dive in more of this. Uh, one, pa- uh, one book in particular that's been really helpful for me in understanding Revelation because it can be a very challenging book to, to, uh, to understand is Michael Gorman's Reading Revelation Responsibly. Um, and so really, really good. It ma- makes the focus on Jesus being uh, the Lamb of God and us joining in with worshiping him. Another great resource that I encourage our students and families to check out is the Bible Project, and they make uh, animated and creative videos and resources that help us uh, understand the Bible. They walk through different books of the Bible, giving an overview, but then they also have biblical themes that they trace it all through um, the Bible. And so some of the information that I gleaned from them uh, made it into the sermon. So the, the, the reason this matters is Scripture points to Revelation, Scripture connects, right, this longing that we have, that the prophets foretold, that Jesus would come again in a visible form and reunite us in creation and in fellowship with God. That the Garden of Eden would be fully realized once again, and that we as believers would enjoy him forever and ever. Creation would be once again not accursed, but longing and pointing to God our Father. And so the water of life would be flowing and we would be enjoying it forever. All right, so as we turn back to our passage in Revelation 22, this should give us enormous hope that our Bible that we read points to this day, and as we look forward to this, we have purpose, we have uh, identity, and we have so much to live for. So let's reread um, Revelation 22, and we're just going to read a couple verses here, and then we'll explain it and continue. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So as we took that biblical journey in rapid um, speed, um, you, some of these words will hopefully jump out at you. We have the river of life, bright as crystal, pure, not, not polluted, life-giving, so many of us are, just enjoy just the benefit. We don't even think about it. Turn on the faucet, enjoy just clean, fresh water. But that's not always been the case throughout human history where water has been not been clean, has not always been tasty, uh, has not been life-giving. But here we have this promise that the water of life will be pure, will be unpolluted. See the source of where it's coming from. It's coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Jesus is on the throne and he's waiting for us. And this river flows out the headwaters. Once again, that picture back to Eden, where the, the fountain was in the middle of the garden flowing out. And here we have the fountain coming from Jesus and God. We have the middle of the street of the city. If you look back, uh, chapter 21 talks about New Jerusalem. And once again, the city of God that's, that's flowing, the river flowing through the middle. And this is where some translations of the Bible, when it talks about the tree of life, some translations might try to have uh, trees on either side of the street or one big tree in the middle. That's because they think back to this Ezekiel 47 passage that we read. And so it's very interesting how uh, commentators don't know if this is one large tree that's able to span a complete river and street, or if it's many trees. Um, Very fascinating. But the picture here for us is the fruit that it gives. And the leaves, right? Everything gives glory to God and is for our benefit and for our healing. 
If you, we continue to read verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Once again, that curse, we, we don't even realize because we're, we're wrapped up in it because of our own sin, because of, that's all we know. But one day, weeds won't just sprout up, even though we've, we've rototillered for days and days and days, right? It'll be pure. It'll be amazing. It'll be what God intended for us to experience. And God's throne will be there. We'll be before him, worshiping him. And that's where verse four comes in. They, the believers, will see his face and God's name will be on their foreheads. And night will no, will no longer be. And there will be no need for lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever. This is pivotal for many of us because some of us lack the confidence or the identity crisis that, that plagues us. But once again, in the new heavens, right, when we are with God forever and ever, we will be able to see God face to face. We will be known, right, fully as, we, as he fully knows us. Our name, his name will be on us so everybody can see. No longer will people put us into a box. No longer will people call us by certain things that they want us. But we will be God's own possession, his children. In some sense, right, that's already our reality that we live in the now and not yet. But this will be fully experienced and we will worship him. Notice that there won't be any need for light. God's presence, his glory will shine forever and ever and we will be with him forever. And as we turn to verse 6 of our passage, these last few words, um, the angel told John, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. It's coming soon. Jesus is coming back soon. And so we're gonna, we need to get ready. And so this passage encourages us and helps us in several ways, and, I, and that's what we're going to close with. But before we do that, there's just a couple pictures for us to kind of wrestle with. This passage details like a garden city that we will one day experience. And I know for many of us, right, either we've grown up in a city or we've grown up in the country or some hybrid. But I think a lot of us have this, uh, this connection of like the evil is out there, right? But as God's word reveals, um, it's, it's within us. And God will purify and cleanse us and cleanse the world once and for all. When I was growing up, I grew up on a farm, and so oftentimes uh, the, the evil was in the city, right? You'd watch the news, and there would be, there'd be criminals running amok, and there'd be murder, and cities would be set on ablaze, right? Uh, and it's ironic that God called me to go to Chicago for uh, Bible school, and so it was in the city that I was experiencing, and the first couple of weeks was kind of like a culture shock, right? Um, and very, uh, yeah, I learned a lot of things. Uh, and I appreciated the country. Now, some of us, we think God can't work. God can't work in the country, right? Like the small churches, they don't got it. We got it all here in the city. But as what God reveals to us here is that it's that hybrid garden city of God. It's the city, right, that worships and glorifies God. But it's all of creation joining in. And so I love what um, Richard Bauckham, who's a commentator, uh, he, he uh, gave a, his two cents on this passage. Um, in the beginning, God had planted a garden for humanity to live in. We see that in Genesis chapter 2. In the end, he will give them a city. In the new Jerusalem, the blessings of paradise will be restored. But the new Jerusalem is more than paradise regained. As a city, it fulfills humanity's desire to build out 
of nature, a human place of culture and community. And so what we get here is that, that perfect uh, everything. See, so it's, it's, not the, it's not cities, it's not country, it's not different things that are evil in and of themselves. It's the evil that pervades those people and evil that pervades those, um, those individuals. And as we see, the, the response for us is to continue to come back to Jesus and our need for Jesus. And our hope isn't built on culture, it's not built on a city, it's not built on different politicians, but our hope is firmly built on Jesus Christ and what he has done. And so we can trust God's word because as I've tried to explain, scripture is pointing us all along to this day and it's glorious, it's magnificent. And so as we come uh, kind of to our application part, our response, right, as we've explored all this, we've seen the hope for believers and now our response, what do we do with this? Um, uh, As I'm reading this, just four quick things jump out to us and jump out to me. Um, And so this this future reality, it should lead the church to be a a worshipful church, a missional church, a courageous church, and a hope-filled church. Part of the worship is we experience through song, um, but part of it too is just continuing to live every day in reality of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and what's coming. Giving honor and praise to God and the Lamb through the Holy Spirit for what he has done to bring us salvation and that our identity is firmly held in the book of life. This is why Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 could praise God in a prison cell. They understood that whatever life threw at them, they could worship God because of what Jesus had done for them. And that should be our response too, right? When we think of what the great... Uh, price that Jesus paid on the cross for us, how can we not keep from singing his praises? How can we not crave more of Jesus and to worship him? And it also calls us to be missional, right? To embody the values and practices of heaven, right? If we know that this is where our eternal home is, then it calls us to live every day as if it's our last. If Jesus could come back and we need to bring as many people with us into this new creation, You think about all the people that have been wrestling, right, with COVID, with unemployment, with so many things, they've built their hope on something, but we know our hope is firmly planted in what Jesus is about to do and bringing us into heaven. And so this calls us to be missional, right? We see Acts, and back in Acts, Stephen, in in, in chapter 7, he could be, even when he was being stoned with rocks, right, he could look up and say, forgive them, Lord, for they do not know what they do. It could be Paul saying in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be sold out for Jesus. And that's what this passage calls us, to be missional, to be on mission, to be intentional with every conversation, with everything that we have. And then third is courage. Now for me, that's probably the hardest one and one I need to work on the most, is to be naming and speaking Jesus Christ, the values, this hope that we have in Jesus Christ, to be courageous, to be bold, whether it's about God's people, right? We see that in the Bible, whether it's correcting and encouraging people, whether it's um, people like Priscilla and Aquila that come alongside Apollos who didn't quite understand the gospel, but were willing to speak boldly and to come alongside him, disciple him, Um, or it's Peter just standing up and rebuking people that just are not living in accordance and tearing people down. Uh, we need to do this. We need to be courageous. We need to be bold. And we can do that because our, our hope is firmly planted in this passage. 
right? When, when we know where we're going, it doesn't, it, other things don't come, it don't affect us as much. And that leads us to our fourth point uh, right here, the application. It gives us hope. Yes. It gives us hope. I know Pastor Jesse and, and a lot of uh, surveys will, will give us account that people are longing for hope, for certainty, for, for anything to hold on to. And that's why the pandemic and so many things have, have been so hard on us is because so many of the things that we put our hope in have been stripped away. But when we understand that our salvation is in Jesus Christ and him alone, no works required, we don't have to worry about some of these other things. Yes, we should care about what we eat and, you know, being able to drive to work and, and some of the daily necessities, but our hope at the end of the day isn't built on our job, isn't built on our car, our home, our family. It's built on our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this reality, it should help us as we sing praises to him every day, not just on Sunday morning, that we need to be worshipful, worship-filled. Just our heart of gratitude to be missional, to going out of our way to share the gospel and then be courageous about it and then be hope-filled, whatever the outcomes, whatever life throws at us. I, I remember when I was playing basketball, um, and many of our athletes will remember when there was like tryouts and there was a lot of conditioning, right? Brings back a lot of maybe trauma or just like, you know, vomiting in, in uh, trash cans. But there would, be, uh, there would be a lot of sprints, down and backs, or uh, what we call suicides and just running lines. And I just remember uh, always just thinking, okay, I only have five more to go. Okay, I only have four more to go. I, I can do it. And the, the, the reason I had it was because I knew the end result. I knew that I would be on the team or I would get through it. Um, and every time I did. And I think in life, too, sometimes we need this, this reminder to come back to this hope, right? That it's firmly planted, planted in Jesus. And so whatever life throws at us, um, we can survive. And it's because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's not because of what we've done. And so if you remember back to that passage that we talked about in John chapter 19, about the soldier spearing Jesus and blood and water came out, right? Right before that, Jesus says, it is finished, but even before that, just one or two verses before, he says, I thirst. And that just, that just hit me as I'm studying this, as we're thinking about hope, we're thinking about how we can build our, our faith and trust in Jesus and this future reality, the hope fulfilled. It, I come back to this. And maybe some of us, right, maybe we haven't put our faith in Jesus Christ yet. And maybe today is the day. You understand that Jesus, right, on the cross, dying for our sins, he said, I thirst. He went into exile he went into desert so that we could have the living water that he gives us. And so for all of us, right, it calls us to reflect upon what our hope is built on. Is it built on this passage that one day Jesus Christ will welcome us into heaven? And for some of us, if we're not sure, like today would be the perfect opportunity to commit to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And we can encourage you and help disciple you and understand more and more of the Bible. But for all of us, I want to close with this one last example. Uh, in fourth grade, I was, uh, my family, we were part of Awana program. Some of you may know or recognize that name, but basically it's grade school youth group with a very heavy emphasis on Bible memorization. And uh, there's some running, obviously, and as, an, uh, as someone that's very active, uh, there was a lot of running for me. And so there was one evening I came home and I was just desperately thirsty, and some of you can probably relate. And so I whip open the fridge and grab the first mug that I see and take a big gulp not realizing that for whatever reason, my mom had put egg whites into the mug. 
to my horror, right, I just try to get that out of my mouth as fast as possible and to get some water or anything else to wash down uh, that disgusting taste. But for us, right, I think sometimes we do that. Jesus gives us the living water. He gives us that pure, that what we're our, whole, our whole life is longing for. And yet we look for or, or grab things that don't give us life-giving nutrition. It's not refreshing. We grab those egg whites and we drink that instead of the living water that Jesus gives us. And so the emptiness, the holes in our life that we try to fill with all things that don't come from God, right, that is what Jesus is calling us to rebuke, to put to the side, to, to vomit out so that we can take in his refreshing water, the living water that he gives us. He gives us purpose. He gives us identity. He gives us a home. He gives us healing. There's no holding back to what Jesus can do for us. So we must surrender to him, accept the gift, commit to him, for the certain hope is firmly planted in God's word and what he has done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have done through all, throughout the Bible and how you call us uh, to continue to live with this hope and expectation of a one-day heaven. So many of us, right, we, we long for this because of loved ones that have gone on or uh, because of our, certain, uh, our circumstances that we find ourselves in. And this passage gives us so much hope and encouragement that, yes, you, are doing a new, you will be doing a new thing, bringing uh, restoration, that you will bring uh, Eden restored. And so as this passage, we are invited into your throne room to live and to be in this living water. And so we say, yes, Lord Jesus, come, come soon. And as we wait, may we be a worshipful church falling down before the throne, before the lamb and saying, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain for us, who's lifted up and on the throne, we sing worthy, amen.